Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The high times and low times, all in the nightlife. I am a surprise. We'll open your eyes. But when the day breaks, you feel the sun kiss. If it's paradise on what you wish. Hello, everyone. Uh, Happy to have you here today on this day in Miami history. Uh, A bit of an unusual episode, I guess. Normally, it's a lot of me. And so if you're annoyed by that, then uh, uh, sorry. But if you're annoyed by that, you probably haven't been listening to this many episodes in the first place. Uh, But today, I'm I'm, I'm doing a a kind of one-on-one interview uh, with uh, an awesome guy, uh, an incredibly informed guy, uh, a guy who knows a little bit about everything. Uh, ranging from the business world to Stevie Nicks to the ins and outs of Miami. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Robin Farzad, uh, who uh, wrote one of my favorite books. uh, And one that I will tell you right now that if you're listening, uh, you should probably just stop and and go get it. Uh, It's entitled Hotel Scarface, uh, where cocaine cowboys partied and plotted to control Miami. Uh, He's also the host of NPR's Full Disclosure. Uh, again, a true Renaissance man, Robin. How are you doing today? How are you? I'm so happy to finally be on. I I am happy to have you. Truly an honor. Truly an honor. Now, the the peg of the episode. I always like to peg uh, every episode so to a specific event, a specific day in Miami history. And uh, since we are talking about Hotel Scarface, uh, your book, and kind of the 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 life in Miami in the late '70s and early '80s, I want to talk specifically about the balcony jumpers. Uh, they feature oh, yeah. prominently on the cover of your book. They feature prominently as, as an important peg in your book. Uh, I was wondering if you can tell our listeners a little bit more uh, about our friends hanging off the balcony at the mutiny. The free base jumpers, as they were, as, as uh, Tim Chapman, the, the legendary photographer of the Miami Herald, who took their photos, you had a couple of free base Coke users, um, some, you know, garden variety cocaine cowboys who were photographed and filmed actually there's footage on the uh the wolfson archives of them scaling the balconies at the notorious hotel mutiny and i believe it was june 23rd of 1980 so your yes. timing is impeccable this is to put it mildly a rather bizarre crime do you have any explanation no just a couple of our regular cuckoos down here and look this was a city that was collectively losing its mind that spring and summer if you want to time stamp the mcduffie race riots you want to timestamp the Marielle inundation of what with 120,000 refugees coming in from Cuba, many of them criminals. Everyone was on edge as the race riots were happening at this hotel. Uh, people remember the, the, the some surreal things. Uh, if you were in your room and the hotel was holed up, you had bullets hitting the antenna on the roof and you had coked up members on the rooftop taking machine guns and shooting out into coconut grove. And you had people who were staying in their rooms watching Mount St. Helens erupt diagonally across the country. So it's one <laughs> of those, you know, vortex moments. But as everyone is losing their minds on June 23rd, people are inside the club. And then there's this commotion outside. Two freebase guys had lit their suite on fire. I think they were burning, 
you know, $100 bills and everything. And they were terrified. There's photography of, of this gentleman, Borkin and Pfeiffer. Uh, they look like small time dealers scaling the balconies, looking out as if some alien was chasing them. I mean, if the suite is on fire, of course, you could have just left through the front door and sounded the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody in the club, which was the initial, you know, there was the bay window sticking out over the driveway. They see the cops at the window of the club, the Miami police trying to negotiate with these guys. And they're just terrified. And one punches a cop and this cocaine goes flying out of his shirt onto the the awning underneath. It's just another day in, in, in Miami history. I mean, it turns out the guys were, you know, if you're freebasing, it's a forerunner to crack cocaine. They were really cracked out and terrified. And there was a gun, there was fire and business just went on and, and, the, and the city just went on. Yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, the, these these two fellows, Michael Borkin and Charles Pfeiffer, they're they're not writing their names in the textbooks of Miami history. You know, it's 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 a small moment in time. But I, I think why I'm so fascinated by that story and, and by the book is it is such a small encapsulation of a much much larger story in the city. And, and the mutiny really is almost kind of a a, a pulsating uh, heartbeat that's beating way too fast because it's amped up on cocaine and other <laughs> stimulants. The, the the mutiny hotel in in Coconut Grove um, is this insane bacchanalia that exists in the middle of what is now uh, you know this very kind of sedate, and calm, and sedate. <laughs> yeah. And you go and walk around on a Saturday morning and check out the farmers market. It was such a different time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, somebody posted a photo of Miami skyline in 1982. I think our mutual friend Casey Paquette did. And Miami, you just go look at the beginning to Capasa, USA, unrecognizable. There was once not even a skyscraper, one office tower. Uh, The Centrust building wasn't even built. None of that. Now it's absolutely unrecognizable. It's absolutely international cosmopolitan. Back then there was a disco in the Omni called the Alexandre and there was the mutiny in Coconut Grove. South Beach was an old age home, effectively. Art Deco revival had not happened. And there was Bayshore recording next door to this. So a lot of celebrities coming in and out of the Grove. And Burton Goldberg, the late owner of this hotel, was smart to realize that if you have a lot of illegal tender sloshing around, and Miami is the money laundering capital of of America, why don't you make this cash only place where people could, you have, you could literally burn money like these freebasers did, or you could drain it down your hot tub with several dozen bottles of Dom or you could spend it on licentious, like, you know, you could spend it on sex and food and everything. And he made within this burning hell that was Miami, which was becoming the world's murder capital, this heaven and this free trade zone and this oasis within it, where you could go to both flirt with the danger and escape from it. Yeah, it, it really, and and you when you read Hotel Scarface, you really pick up on this. It, it has a real... Um, kind of a no man's land zone to it within, like you said, this city that's dealing with so many concurrent pressures, so many concurrent calamities that it, it, it is not capable of withstanding. It is not capable of dealing with because it was only 20 or 30 years ago, a small Southern enclave. Uh, yeah. it, it feels like it's almost ahead of the curve in terms of realizing like, Oh, we can, we can ride the bull. And and sometimes there you know people do get thrown off the bull at the mutiny, but there is like you mentioned Burton Goldberg. It it seemed like he, though he is himself kind of a mess too. Uh, he like you said he kind of had the vision to be like, okay, I can do something with this. Whereas I think a lot of the rest of the city really couldn't figure out what to do. Well, not just that. I mean, he, he spoke. You speak to the guy, and I interviewed him. 
he lived in the Bay Area. He passed away, I believe, in 2016. For him, it was all about plausible deniability. He says, I built a movie set where boy meets girl. You know, if I could, and I'm going to do it in his voice. Rob and I would call it the Swingers Hotel if I could. It was about boy meets girl, the pill. But the, the, the most profitable stuff happened when he wasn't in town. He was a control freak. And if you left it up to corrupt managers and night managers and women who knew how to play the game, who were on staff, not on staff, uh, uh, staff who knew how to hide uh, pistols in, in uh, banquet cushions or hide them under their skirts, because that all fed the, the kind of the cash bacchanalia. Uh, it wasn't so much him as also it was law enforcement that didn't bust it because it was too valuable to witness, you know, one cop writing down license plates of who was meeting who, who was sending champagne to whose bottles. It was too vital to kind of bust. You know, you might go to the Frost Museum see these gigantic aquariums and wonder why isn't that gigantic bull shark just hitting that hogfish or eating it right then and there. For some reason, they figured out how they all coexist in here. And if you feed them enough, they don't need to eat one another and cannibalize one another. And, and that worked until effectively the cops whispered in his ear, you need to get the hell out. And he sold it at the end of 1983 and he sold it at the top. Yeah, it, it really seems like it, it has a, a feel of almost like Rick's where oh, yeah. everyone winds up there. You know, the, the quote unquote bad guys and the quote unquote good guys. And, and the he's good shocked, guys- shocked. Shocked that drug dealing is going on there. That's how it was to me. Oh, I was shocked. That stuff was dirty. <laughs> yeah. The good guys become a little bit more bad. The bad guys become a little right. bit more good. The lines exactly. get blurred. Yeah. It's exactly. it's really, and again, at, at this point, uh, one, one of my favorite things to to say, I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you, but um, my wife and I actually, our, our um, wedding night, we stayed at the mutiny before we left to Mexico. Oh. Yes. So it was, uh, it was, I have a mutiny, um, uh, what do you call it? A robe. Bathrobe. Uh, yes, bathrobe that I <laughs> yeah, have. It's so sedate. The place yes. is such a letdown right now. You know, O.J. Yeah. Simpson returned to it in 2001 to film a sex tape unsuccessfully <laughs> because he was a regular in its heyday. He yeah. would use and abuse there and everything. And he kind of came back and it kind of was there with a penthouse model. And it was in the New York Post and nothing came of it. I mean, the, the <laughs> ship had long since sailed, you know? Yeah. Trying to reclaim the old glory. Yeah, um, none of that. But as you said, the, the mutiny uh, after Goldberg sells in 83, uh, it, it begins to roll slowly and then very fast, right? Where there, there, some of the mom- forward momentum is carried for a bit. But especially as you move into the kind of mid 80s, it, it, things are beginning to change. Oh, yeah. Not only that. So I'd like to say this is where the mutiny was where the Cold War crashed into the cocaine wars, crashed into the savings and loan crisis. Sunrise Savings Alone, which was a really notorious, flamboyant, uh, hot you know, uh, uh, thrift, which was profiled, I think, in Forbes, had a hotshot founder and young CEO and went out and did very many speculative things. They were doing the underwriting to the, major- the majority of the mortgage. And by the time, you know, regimes and uh, cats and ends and bidders and some of the other players caught up to the fact that there was so much money to be made. I mean, think about Mayfair and the Grove, but they showed up in the Grove. Uh, they were telling the newspapers and others that we have a discriminating, i.e. non-Marielle clientele. And the Grove became the province of Marielles and people who otherwise couldn't get in. And the new management came in and certain things, you know, staff wasn't getting paid or the elevator wasn't getting repaired. And critically, you know, you have you have all of these 130 different theme suites. You look at your backdrop, right? And the nautical yeah. dream suite. 
And if something breaks, it's not like they brought Carolyn Robbins back in. They'd be a Japanese suite and they'd replace, they'd replace a lamp, you know, a very intricately designed chintzy lamp with a store-bought lamp. And the yeah. place quickly started losing its charms. I mean, Roy Rogers Hardy's was great and new maybe when it grand opened in 1978. But if they didn't replace the booths or change the menu, it would seem janky, yeah. you know, by now. And I know it's a bad comparison, but there's a reason why you, know, you have to innovate or die and others did regines did cats did and uh by the time that the cash flow was terrible 1985 they defaulted on the mortgage sunrise goes under and it's seized by the u.s government so transitively as fortune magazine reported by the late 80s uncle sam owned one of the most notorious drug dens in america yeah it's uh really illustrative of of how the war on drugs winds up uh manifesting itself once you get in the late 80s and and early 90s. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Um, you, you, you look at Miami, and as, a, as an outsider who's, who's come in, uh, you know, I moved here in 2005, I had in my head, and, and I, I realized later why I did, that the, the kind of the the drug era, the kind of dangerous era was mid to late 80s. And that's wrong. And it's largely wrong because of media portrayals, right? Where you're thinking of Miami Vice and, you know, media is almost trailing the story here. When you go back to, at, to kind of the development of the drug trade, the late 70s and early 80s is, is this hinge point. Um, how much do you think the actual events in Miami affect Miami's kind of reputation and how much do you think those media portrayals that kind of came on maybe a little bit later uh, to the party uh, affect how Miami is perceived by the nation? Well, what I try to do with the book is take you back to show you how the how essential the Cold War and our misadventures in Cuba created the cocaine crisis in the United States. And then it all really became really truly tied up with the CIA and Iran-Contra in the 1980s. But if Fidel Castro, I mean, if, if you know, Miami was, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the largest CIA base in the world in the early 1960s. Everybody was raring for a rematch, yeah. you know, Bay of Pigs and everything. And when they didn't get that, I don't know if this is answering your question. You had thousands and thousands of CIA trained mariners, if you will, uh, sublimating their skill set into moving pot. 
And uh, when when the writing was on the wall, they thought Jimmy Carter was going to legalize pot. And either way, cocaine was kilo for kilo, a lot more profitable. They moved to moving cocaine. It was child's play. They knew all the coves, all the evasion techniques and, and getting out. And then cocaine, the sheer profitability of it was so irresistible that it enlisted everyone, the likes of employees at the Federal Reserve branch, honor students, Willie and Sal, the speedboating apolitical Cubans and everything. And just the amount of money, as we discussed, the $5 billion cash surplus at the Miami Fed in 1980, which exceeded all of the other Federal Reserve Bank surpluses combined. That all didn't just go away with Miami Vice at the mid-80s and you know, that series. It it got reinvested into the skyline. There's this great scene in Cocaine Cowboys by Billy and Alfred when Edna Buchanan is seated, I, seated, I think, by the MacArthur Causeway, and you see the, the skyline behind her. All that money has kind of gone into the skyline. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 been reinvested. Why are there so many banks in Miami? Mom and pop banks on Brickle. What what is our industry? Um, so cocaine was absolutely critical to catapulting us to where we were today. And now you could look at, you know, there's been controversy over the Surfside, um, the, 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 champagne, the, the, the tower that collapsed tragically in 2021. It's not far removed from money laundering. We don't know why people were putting up these shoddy luxury towers when mortgages were running at 15% in 1980 and 1981. I mean, put two and two together. Yeah. So money laundering is a tremendous, tremendous amount of that. And I, it's still the hot money capital of the United States. It's still where hot money goes. If you want to evade taxes or you want to evade capture or expropriation, if you're an uncle of a, a corrupt Honduran leader, you know, you have property in Miami. So <laughs> I bet if you and I went and tried to dissect every individual mortgage and the history of every property and building and franchise and capital asset, it would lead back to cocaine and money laundering. Yeah, that, that would not be very surprising. Uh, now, I, I want to ask you to kind of bring the the modern uh, bring modern times into into the, the the question here. You mentioned interest rates at fifteen percent. You're looking at a a Miami in 2022 uh, where uh, cryptocurrency had been the discussion of the day, uh, an eagerness to 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 move into uh, perhaps more untraceable assets. You're now looking at inflation moving higher. You're now looking at interest rates moving higher. Uh, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes perhaps. What, what lessons do you think Miami today can look back at this particular period, the late 70s, early 80s, and perhaps draw, even though we maybe aren't a city that always likes to learn lessons. We just kind of constantly repeat the same song over and over again. Well, repeat or forget, you know, B- Business Week sent me down in 2009 when there was this, just this tableau of somewhere near Keystone Point, there was this uh, uh, jetty or something with a bunch of vultures staring at the skyline, which was bombed out. You know, people forget we had a real estate collapse in 2009, yeah. which was very traumatic, took down very many banks. So nobody's going to remember that we had an SNL crisis or we had various things that happened in the early 80s after the cocaine boom backed up. We just generally don't learn. We move on from, and we, I mean, I am far removed from the city. I last lived there. I lived on Brickell Avenue in 2000 and I can't recognize the place. I, I know in slow motion that when the Miami, you know, my mayor, what's his name? Mayor Suarez. Well, I, I forget his name. Who's the Francis. mayor that's all over the place? Francis Suarez. Yeah. When, he, when, he, when he unveils the crypto bull, I could guarantee you that this thing was going to slide. And it's been down like 50% since, since April, right? Yeah. Like, don't Miami. I mean, I, I have all these crypto bro friends in Miami that don't know how to explain this to me. And 
look, it's selling a fantasy. It's selling a feeling. Why suddenly did all these financiers, I mean, what, what are they? They're, they're in the work from home era, they're tax refugees. They're trying to avoid Connecticut and New York taxation. It's not like something has fundamentally changed about Miami. In fact, climate change is getting worse. In fact, you could be in Doral on a, sun, on a sunny day during King Tide and have to wear plastic bags around well inland around your sneakers. I mean, we sold now for more than 120 years this fantasy and a myth and uh, rolling bubbles and crises and bubbles and crises. And there's going to be a lot of hell to pay right now. Miami is, by some respects, the most unaffordable housing market in America. And uh, what, it, what is there underpinning that? Is there a tremendous uh, surge of hiring and high paying jobs that people can afford to pay these usurious rents? But you're right, we don't learn. But it does help us to go back to this time, which almost looks quaint. How cute, you know, this little discotheque and a, you know, 130 different rooms in Miami, but it was, it was dead serious and it was murderous too. And, and you know, thankfully Miami is nowhere near as violent as it was back then, but um, it, it is quite diluted. It still remains quite diluted. Yeah, I, um, I, I've done, obviously in the course of doing the podcast, I've dug into a, a hundred different little uh, holes of information about Miami. And, and one of the things that I find interesting is when you look at the, the, the crime record of Miami, everyone always thinks of the late, the late 70s, early 80s, and, and you have these touchstones of crime, like the, the shootout at Dadeland or just, you know, the, the high uh, murder rates. But you go back to the other real boom time, mid to late 1920s. It's right. even more dangerous. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. you know, when you Miami tends to have this kind of repeating theme of extraordinary wealth creation, extraordinary wealth collapse. And in the middle, a lot of people winding up dead. And thankfully, in the last few years, we we haven't we didn't see that in the run up to 09. We haven't seen that in the run up to uh, to 2022. You know, crime has gone slightly higher, but nowhere near nowhere near approaching where we were in the 80s or the 20s. Yeah. I mean, and some, some things I just can't, I refuse to believe when people tell me to be in Midtown or the Upper East Side of Miami. I was like, shut up. You know, <laughs> or you see a, a Balthazar coming there or another, P- oh, Peter Luger is thinking of coming there. Yeah, it is. I used to go to Marlins Mets games and there'd be more Mets fans. I understand that. But yeah, um, I, I do think this has to mean revert and it's going to be mean when it does, because I don't believe Miami has ever experienced this level of, of kind of excess and frothiness between Bitcoin, between property, between the kind of financial carpetbaggers, people calling West Palm Beach, Wall Street South. There's just, there's always got to be a hell to pay for it. I've, I've, I've seen it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as, as we move forward. So uh, I'll let you go on this question. Again, talking to Robin Farzad um, of NPR's Full Disclosure of Hotel Scarface, where Cocaine Cowboys partied and plotted to control Miami. Again, like I told you at the top of the show, pause what you're listening to now, go buy the book, read it if you want to, and then come back. But definitely get your hands on the book because it's just, it's one of the most fun and interesting and, and informative reads about Miami around. Um, last question for you. When you look at the the rise and the fall of the mutiny, and you alluded to earlier, where you have kind of the nightlife of Miami centered in Coconut Grove. And over the last 30 years, 40 years, it, it has it has migrated right to South beach and even kind of bounced a little bit back to Brickell uh, in that sense, where the idea of nightlife in Brickell 40 years ago would have been absurd. Unthinkable. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
what do you, what do you think is next for for that that for the grove and for kind of the, these older parts of Miami? As you said, all these forces are kind of pressing up against quote unquote old Miami and, and changing them and, and 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 molding them into this this kind of new modern shape. The grove has has gone through this kind of gentrification-y uh, cycle, I mm. guess, where it's it's much more peaceful. Do, do you ever foresee? Uh, kind of the Grove returning to that kind, not obviously not to that level, but but changing in the way to be a little bit more recognizable to folks who would see it in the 80s? Or would you say that ship has sailed? I can't see that happening. I mean, you know, 79th Street used to be an insult that we'd hear like, I saw your mother on 79th Street, you know, and so I'd hear middle school. Now it's a hot hopping district, every restaurant, bars and everything over there. It's so migrated up and down the corridors, downtown Miami, things that just were not there. The Grove has not just, you know, it has topography issues too. I remember with Mayfair, uh, who is a Monty trainer, like right? he's a yeah. great person to talk to. They're doing all sorts of digging, the plumbing, the hydrology, the building itself. Again, it's a sedate condo hotel thing. I mean, could you have people climbing up and down the balconies and throwing these raging orgies and everything? The Grove just doesn't lend itself to that. Mayfair was was, you know, uh, was, a, was a heartbeat away from death. Uh, Coco Walk, which was hot in the early 90s. And I remember Dan Marino's and the Cheesecake Factory. You know, Miami's getting a Cheesecake Factory. All that stuff is being rethought of uh, right now. And, you know, our friend Fernanda Mandy has an office over there. And I just say, I like to go and write there. I like to go and think there because the history is so rich. Going back to, you know, Peacock Park and... Uh, um, the, the various people who settled there, the Bahamian immigrants in the, the late 19th century. I hope it gets a reset. I hope, um, you know, various other buildings have been knocked down. Monty's is still there. Uh, it could use a refresh. And I've never, I've never written off any neighborhood in Miami. There's always a creative destruction, whether it's Little Haiti or whether another stretch is being called Midtown or the Upper East Side or any areas that are left for dead, any towns that are left for dead, I, I would buy that trade. Interesting. Interesting as we look forward in, a, in an interesting time in Miami. I guess there's never really not an interesting time in not, Miami, though. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a fascinating news town. I mean, I wish, you know, in a past life, I wish I could have made a go of it as a, as a reporter. I grew up idolizing Carl Hyacinth, Dave Barry, and, um, you know, I lived in Miami for two years after college. I couldn't make it work professionally, but I, my heart is always there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it never a dull moment, never a dull moment. Yeah. So, Robin Farzad, thank you so much for your time and my and pleasure. Your, You're the your man. Insight, no, you are. Thank you, though. So uh, that's been Robin Farzad again of NPR's Full Disclosure and the author of Hotel Scarface, where cocaine cowboys partied and plotted to control Miami. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.